If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Our scripture reading will be verse 21 to 40 of Luke 2. Another, another portion of the Advent account of Christ. So Luke, Luke chapter 2, from verse 21 down through verse 40. Following the reading of scripture, we'll sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand, if you would, for the reading of God's holy word. <laughs> On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and, for, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until, the, until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of, of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with the wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And God will add his blessing to this reading of the word. Amen. Let us bow, please, for another moment of prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we come into your presence, and as we approach your word today, we pray for the uh, work of the Holy Spirit to illumine our hearts and our minds with the truth of your word, that as we observe this aspect of the life of Christ, we may be drawn to love him uh, more and more with all of our hearts and to follow him all our days. 
And may you be glorified in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look through the Advent account or the account of Luke for Jesus' first Advent, you and I are waiting, um, looking forward to his second Advent. But his first Advent, Luke has his record of different events that he highlights. And in the pages of his record are three songs. Um, We could add a fourth if we add the angels song, but three songs that are normally highlighted. And in the liturgical history of the church, those three songs are given a title that's the first word or the first couple words of the song in the Latin translation of the New Testament. So, for example, in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56, which we read earlier in this service, we have the uh, Song of Mary, which goes by the first word, the Magnificat. And that kind of sums up what is the truth in the beginning of her song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Then the second song is that of Zechariah in verses 68 to 79 in chapter 1. And the title given to that is Benedictus, which is the first word, blessed be the, be the Lord, the God of Israel. So we have uh, those two titles. And within the text that we're looking at today, we have the song of Simeon, which is titled uh, Nunc Dominus, hence the title of the sermon today. It means now dismiss. So literally, verse 29 should read, now dismiss your servant in peace according to your word. Our translations try to uh, smooth things out a little bit. Uh, It's not as though Simeon's giving a command to God, now dismiss me, but we'll talk about that later on. But as we look at this passage that that we um, uh, read today and we're looking at, uh, as a way to kind of help us think through it, uh, Jesus meets three people. Uh, Jesus meets Moses, Jesus meets Simeon, and Jesus meets Anna. Important elements. It's part of what Jesus encounters in the first six weeks of his life. Uh, Last week, Ryan preached on the account of his birth in the first 20 verses of this chapter. And we're taking the events that take place in the next six weeks of uh, Jesus' life. And so the first one he meets is Moses. Now, it seems really strange to say it that way. Because according to his deity, Christ, the eternal God, was there long, long before Moses ever arrived on the scene. And according to his humanity, Moses appeared on the scene centuries earlier. But when I use the phrase that that Jesus meets Moses... There are things according to the law that had to be accomplished in Christ's life. Remember Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And the law could not bring us redemption, but what the law could not do, God did by sending his own son 
in the likeness of human flesh. And so Jesus, the certain things had to be accomplished according to the law uh, that governed his life. When we asked the children about why Jesus came, they answer to keep the whole law for his people and to suffer the punishment due to their sin. So Jesus Christ had those two elements that were very important. He came as the one who would keep the law perfectly on our behalf, and he would be the one who would bear the curses of the law on our behalf. And so what we see in these uh, first six weeks of his life is the law being fulfilled in, the, in three ways. The first is his circumcision. You see that in verse 21. On the eighth day, uh, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. That was a requirement of the law, part of the covenant with, with Abraham, that on the eighth day, uh, the sons would be circumcised. And in that pattern, their pattern, and that was the day of naming. In our day, when you have sonograms and all, you know what you're having. Uh, before you ever have it, you, parents will give the names uh, before they're ever born. But in this case, the name is given to them as the angel directed them on the day that he was circumcised. So it's a, obedience to the law. It was probably done in Bethlehem, uh, maybe at the synagogue or maybe the rabbi uh, performed the, the ritual rite. But nevertheless, he was circumcised on the eighth day. This was his first shedding of blood. And it anticipates the fact that his blood would be shed for us. This was the beginning of the sorrows that he would experience on our behalf. The second element of the law that had to be fulfilled was uh, purification and uh, the purification of the mother. In Leviticus chapter 12, God has an extended uh, discussion of what should happen in a period after a woman has a baby uh, for either a boy or a girl. Uh, there were certain rites that they had to go through, certain things that had to happen and uh, in this case, they came to the temple in Jerusalem and uh, they would offer the sacrifices necessary for Mary's purification. And what Leviticus 12 uh, directed was that the couple should bring, the parents should bring a lamb and along with that, a dove or a pigeon. And when Mary and Joseph come uh, to do the sacrifice for her purification, they bring two doves or two pigeons. It's a demonstration of their uh, poverty. They couldn't afford a lamb. They didn't have the money to buy a lamb to bring it for the appropriate sacrifice so they were allowed in their poverty to bring two doves uh, to perform the sacrifice. They couldn't afford a lamb. And so they didn't bring a lamb for the sacrifice, but in another sense, they brought the lamb for the sacrifice. They didn't have a lamb, an animal, but they had the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And 
they brought him as part of the purification rite and ceremony. The third element of the law that had to be accomplished and had to be done is that Jesus had to be presented. Back when uh, Israel was being delivered from Egypt, the final plague, you remember, was the plague of the death of the firstborn. And from that moment on, the firstborn belonged to God. And that firstborn had to be given to God. And initially, they were to be given to serve in the priesthood and the worship of God. And then God designated the tribe of Levi to be that role of priests. But the firstborn still had to be uh, purchased, still had to be redeemed, still had to be presented to God. And the parents could bring uh, a certain payment and they would redeem their firstborn and essentially buy him back uh, from, uh, from God for themselves and for their family. And here is a wonderful demonstration of the amazing, loving condescension of our God. Here we have the Redeemer being redeemed. The one who would provide the purchase price of our redemption was himself being redeemed. It's a marvelous and wonderful expression of the love of God for us that he would have his son go through that. And he who would be the savior of the world would be, have to be redeemed. But not only did Jesus meet Moses and the provisions of the law had to be carried out, but Jesus, uh, Jesus meets Simeon. And uh, we, he was, uh, there are several things we learned about him. One is he was, he had been reassured by God that he would see the Messiah. So we see in verse 25, this man Simeon, he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, he was waiting for the comfort of the Lord. He was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting in expectation. That word consolation reminds us of the name of Noah. Remember Noah? And the name of Noah means comfort. And when Noah's parents named him, they said, perhaps he will be the one to bring comfort to us. The promise of the Son, the promise of the Messiah, goes back as far as Genesis 3.15. When a son of the woman would come and put to nothing and, and conquer Satan and his line. And from that moment on, the expectation throughout the Old Testament was the Messiah, the promised son. Adam and Eve expected it. Noah's parents thought, maybe this is him. Maybe this is the one. He's going to bring redemption and comfort. He's going to conquer. He was a redeemer of sorts, provided the ark. But he wasn't the consolation. The Holy Spirit was at work in him, and the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before he would see the Messiah, the Christ. And so he waited 
came regularly to the temple, worshiped in the temple, anticipating the consolation of Israel. And then he recognizes uh, that Savior when he sees him uh, in verses 27 and following. The Holy Spirit moves on Simeon and he comes to the temple and he sees the parents, Joseph and Mary, with Jesus in their arms. And he recognizes that this is the Savior who is to come. And he goes over and takes Jesus in his arms. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, you might be there worshiping and and all of a sudden this old man comes up and takes your child in his arms. Perhaps there were more dynamics going on there. You might look askance at this happening. But Simeon uh, begins to make a pronouncement, begins to make a worship. And the first thing that he says is, now dismiss your servant in peace according to your word. Uh, Simeon had had the role of a servant, and he had been given the charge to watch, just as uh, uh, a servant in a household might have the responsibility, we need you to stay up and watch, watch for burglars, watch out for this to happen, stay on guard. And Simeon had this responsibility. And the first part of his song is to say, Lord, I'm ready. I've I've seen your salvation. I'm ready to go. Now you're dismissing me, your servant in peace. It's the end of his life. He's ready to die. The end of his life has come and he can die in peace because he's seen the Lord's Christ. And then he speaks about Jesus and what he'll do. He says, my eyes have seen, verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people as a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He realizes that in Jesus Christ is salvation, not just for the Jew, but for the Jew and the Gentile, that this salvation was going to go throughout the world to every language, nation, people, tribe, and tongue. I've seen your salvation that you've prepared. It's going to be the light for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. It's going to bring salvation to people of, of every stripe and every, uh, every way of life. And so he celebrates and sings in, about this Savior whom he was able to recognize. And Joseph and Mary are just amazed at, by all of this that's happening But Simeon's not done. That's his song. But now he has a prophecy. Now he has a revelation to make. And the revelation that he makes after blessing them, he says to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He speaks prophetically, and he's going to tell Mary Mary two things. The first is, uh, Jesus Christ demands a response. You cannot remain neutral regarding Jesus Christ. And he will be either the rising of many or the falling of many. 
And the way Peter puts it in his letter, he says, the scriptures say, behold, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone. That's Christ. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And to you who believe, this stone is precious. Those are the ones who will rise. Those who are the ones who will experience the blessedness of God. This stone in whom they believe and they build their life on, he's their foundation stone. They stand on him. They won't be shaken. Uh, and that stone in whom they believe is precious. He's, he's someone they love. A Christian loves Christ more than anything else. Christ is precious to the believer. He is such an important part of their life. And that's part of the response that Simeon's predicting. He's saying there's, he's going to be the rising of many. Many will come to know him and build their life on him and he will be precious to them. But there's another response. Peter says it this way, but to those who do not believe... He's a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And they stumble because they disobey the message. This rock, this precious cornerstone, will either be a foundation on which we stand that causes us to rise in the blessedness of Almighty God or he will be a rock that will crush us and bring God's just and holy wrath upon us. But there's no neutrality. You can't say, well, I think he's a nice person and turn away. You, he's either precious to you or he will cause you to fall. And so it's an important prophecy, important for our, our reflection. We think about his coming, but do we think about our response to him and his coming? And then he has one more prophecy to give to Mary, the end of verse 35, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's a recognition that Mary, particularly as his mother, when he goes through his suffering and death, the spear may pierce Jesus' side, but a sword is going to pierce her heart, as would any mother when they see their child going through difficulty. They're gripped with that. Mary will experience that kind of sorrow because of what Christ will have to do. It, it's a, again, an anticipation of the extreme agony Jesus is gonna go through for his people's sake when he suffers and dies on the cross. So he's met Moses, he meets Simeon, and he meets Anna. Uh, we're told in verse 36, Anna was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Uh, she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So uh, the NIV is trying to 
give us the answer. How old was she? Well, it's telling us she was 84 years old. But if you see, some of your Bibles have a footnote that says she was a widow for 84 years. So just rounding things off, if she married at age 15, was uh, married seven years, widow at 22 with another 84 years, well, you know, that's even with old or new math, she's over 100 years old. Not that this is a big deal. It's one of those curious little things you can kind of talk about and have a little fun with. Um, Luke says she was very old, so let's go with that. But she's old, but something it tells us that may puzzle you, it says she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now it is possible that the temple had courtyards and it had uh, apartments, uh, part of the temple complex. It is very possible that she lived in one of those rooms, maybe with some other women, and perhaps they served at the temple in some way or another. Um, So it is possible that she actually lived there in the temple complex, or it could be simply that her every waking moment, that's where she was. And she was worshiping God, she was fasting and she was praying, and she too was looking forward to the consolation of Israel, for the redemption of Israel. And when she sees Mary and Joseph with Jesus, she goes over to them and she praises God. She gives thanks to God and speaks about the child. Uh, wouldn't it have been nice to have had her? What, what did she say about him? We don't, we're not told because we don't need to know. But she spoke about the child. She spoke about Jesus to all those who also were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Perhaps as Simeon had sung his song, maybe a crowd is beginning to gather a little bit, or maybe some of the women with with Anna were coming over there. And so you have this group of people who are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, and they're being told, here he is. Here he is. With the implied encouragement, trust in him. Look for him, long for him. And so we have all these wonderful events in the life of Christ. We're told in verse 39 that when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Luke doesn't include the information about the... uh, wise men, the magi, and the having to flee into Egypt. Not because those things didn't happen, because they weren't part of what he was trying to put together. Remember, these gospel accounts are not exhaustive, they're selective. And his interest was what happened there at the, at the temple, and then his, next, his interest in the next thing is his growing up years in, uh, in Nazareth. But they take him home and he grows in wisdom and stature and in in, uh, favor with God and with man. But it's part of Jesus' early days in the first six weeks of his life, we see that he is born under the law and obedient in all things. 
and he is the consolation of Israel and going to bring salvation, light to the Gentiles and glory to the people of Israel. And many Jews believed. Sadly, many did not. And many Gentiles will come to know the Lord. And many will not. But he will be the cause of the fall, rising of many or the falling of many. And you and I are called upon to embrace this precious cornerstone as our foundation. And for that precious cornerstone to be for us precious. That we would love him and delight in him and rest in him so that when our life ends, when we are near the end of our days, we can say with Simeon, Lord, dismiss your servant now in peace according to your word. May that be our hope and the truth of our lives. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do so rejoice and give thanks to you for the gift of your son, the blessedness of the, the truth of who he is. Father, we are all gathered here and can be caught up in the moment of the, the celebration of a holiday and perhaps miss the reality that this, this one is your son and before him and in him we stand or fall. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would powerfully work in each of our hearts to give us a, a wonderful love for Christ, that we would love him and live for him, and he would be the center post of our lives, uh, that we would live in a way that would honor you by his strength and by the help of the Holy Spirit. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.